Well, this morning we're going to talk about prayer. It's interesting how incredibly odd silence can be. Uh, when was the last time you were in complete silence and, and no sounds, no noise in the distance, no, no buzzing phones, no cries from a child, no loud planes flying overhead, uh, nothing, just silence. It's, it's, a, it's an odd feeling. Today we live in a time and age where we're constantly surrounded with the noise of something. We have lots of distractions coming from everywhere. We, we, we carry devices with us everywhere we go that beep and buzz all the time, hundreds of times a day. And we get that notification, that email, and oh, we need to respond to that text message. But we need to remember we're, we're human, we're not machines. And we were created for, for rhythms of silence and noise, for, for community and for solitude, for, for time away. It, it can be incredibly unhealthy for us always to have people around and also very unhealthy to never want people around. God made us for a healthy rhythm and, and seasons and routines and and, and, and times in our life to, to enjoy this, but yet get away from things. And from the very beginning, we've needed rest and we needed time to work. God made us this way. It's, it's God's design. It's his plan. It's his purpose for our lives. So having silence and, and a regular part of our life is a human necessity. But it seems to me, at least, it's even more pressing today in 2018. By all accounts, we are more crowded with more noise, more busyness than we've ever been before. And I swore I'd never think this way, but it's happened. I think like an old man now. I talk to my kids like an old man. You know, I say things to my kids. When I was a kid, I didn't have an iPad or an iPhone. We didn't have internet in our house until I was in college. College. I didn't get my first cell phone until I was a junior in college, and I have a 12-year-old asking for one. You know, and my phone now has the internet. I can literally open it up and, and, and check the scores for the baseball game, and the Tigers are most likely losing. I remember when you had to plug the, the phone line in the back of the computer, and you know, you heard that sound. It was dialing in, the internet. But now we live in, a, in, in this age where technology is just changing. It seems hourly. Are we better off? Donald Whitney has said, one of the costs of a technological advancement is a greater temptation to avoid quietness. We need to realize the addiction we have to noise, he says. Do we have an addiction? Are we dependent to having something going on all the time? Something moving, something making noise, something to do? You know, I catch myself when I get into the car after I, I leave the office, and, and what's the first thing I do after buckling up? What do you think? I turn on the radio. That's probably the first thing maybe you do. And I, and I don't think about it. I, I think either I'm going to listen to something or a podcast, but seldom do I just drive in silence. When was the last time we just turned everything off and just listened? Last time we were in silence. You know, I live in a house with four little girls, so I had to think hard about this question. This morning, I, I want to talk about priorities. I want to talk about busyness and rest. But more importantly, I want to talk but our time with God in prayer. A healthy Christian learns to pray, and they prioritize prayer. We, we won't be perfect, and you won't never feel like you pray enough. But a healthy Christian should be prioritizing their life in a way that God is first and everything else is second. 
And the point of this series in a healthy Christian isn't to condemn. It's, it's, it's to show you and to show me areas in our life where maybe we need to grow. You know, if you go to the doctor and have a physical, they walk through different areas where you're healthy, and they will say, well, here's an area where you're not. You know, you just shrug your shoulders and walk away, or you say, no, I, I need to change something here so that I can be healthy in this way. And that's the point of this series, to, to identify things in our lives where maybe we need to grow, make some changes. Well, this morning, I'm going to read the passage, and I changed it from the bulletin. I didn't tell the secretary this. Sorry, Kristen. But I changed it to the scripture. We're going to look at Mark chapter 1, verses 21 through 39, and more on the, on the heavy side of the, the end of that, that section. Mark chapter 1, starting at verse 21. And I'll read verse 21 through 39, and then I'll, I'll share my outline, and then we'll pray and get started. So follow with me as I read Mark chapter 1, starting at verse 21. And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue, and he was teaching. And they were astonished, and they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in the synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? How, have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere, throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up. And the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That even at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons, and the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also. For that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. The the rhythm of rest and refocus was invented by God. And this morning, I want to spend our time looking at how uh, our Lord Jesus prioritized life while on earth. And there's three things that, that stuck out to me in this text, three areas that Jesus dealt with while he ministered to humans, and there are three Ps, so maybe that'll help you remember them. Prayer, popularity, and preaching. And so I'm going to pray, ask you pray for me, I'll pray for you, and we'll get started. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the opportunity that we've had to gather together as the body of Christ here in Edgewood in Milton. And we ask God that you would teach your people, that you would help them to understand what your word says and that they can apply it to their life and that it would leave different than when they came in. And we'll be sure to give you all the honor and glory for what you do here in this place. For we ask it all in Jesus' name, amen. The first is Jesus in prayer. Montaigne, the French philosopher, said, the greatest thing in the world is to be self-sufficient. And here in America, we love that, don't we? 
We love those stories who begin with those who begin with nothing and pull their lives together and accomplish something great, something significant. Whether that's a career as a musician or an author or an athlete or a self-made millionaire or a creator or an artist, an inventor, all of these stories inspire America. That's what America defines itself as, self-sufficient individuals seeking self-glorification. But this is not the practice that we see in the life of Jesus. We, we don't read this in the resume of the Christian. In this section of scripture, I believe this morning, at least how I'm viewing it and handling it, it really hinges on verse 35, and Jesus going to pray. Jesus was not disconnected from the Father, and he found his direction, purpose, and power from the Father, not just in himself. Jesus was not a good American. He, he found his help in praying to the Father. He wasn't a self-sufficient, self-glorifying man. He, he seeked to glorify God. But before we get to verse 35, we have some background. Verses 21 through 34 show us that Jesus was no slouch when it came to ministry. He worked very hard when it came to helping and teaching people. He, he didn't just float in, say a few words, heal a few people, eat some good food, and then head out. Jesus was not on a speaking tour through Galilee, staying in, in, in plush hotels. No, he, he was in the trenches with people. And he was with the people that he created. And he cared for them. And he worked hard to, to teach them and to heal them and, and to spend time with them. And he poured himself out every time he was with people. And when he approached the town, he would teach. He would open up the minds of those that were misunderstanding who God was and, and why they were here. Jesus would come in and preach something that they'd never quite understood. It's never always hobby, hobby horse issues for Jesus. No, he's there to preach their greatest need. He was there to challenge them. God was not created by humans. He's not the projection of your own desires. And, and I think how many still need to hear this today? You see, a Jesus that you create, a Jesus that is a projection of your own desires, can't contradict you. He obviously can't even challenge you. He can't help you. He, he can't convert you because you made him. And if, if you're going to have a Jesus who really helps you or changes you, it has to be a Jesus with his own reality, not one you created. And here in Mark's gospel, we have a firsthand account of, of who Jesus was and what Jesus taught. He wasn't a creation of the Pharisees and how they wanted to live. No, he came and he preached who God was and their need for him. And he worked hard. And Jesus was having a big impact on people. They were, they were coming to hear him and to be ministered to. His plate was full. His time was occupied. He had plenty to do, and his hours were spent with people. And, and all the time, he couldn't move very far without having someone come and ask something of him. That was Jesus' life on earth. And when we come to verse 34 here in the text, it's, a, it's the end of a very busy Saturday. And ministry is booming for Jesus. And there's verse 35, it says, And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. Jesus' response to times of extreme busyness and incredible opportunities and overwhelming popularity and productivity was much different than ours. His response is different than most Americans who would experience this. Because when you and I experience 
something similar to what Jesus might have, an incredible popularity or astonishing productivity or opportunities for us, we, we, we then push out the solitude. We, we, we squeeze out prayer. And we gotta keep up with the demand and prayer and silence then take a back seat. But the more busier that Jesus got, the more Jesus prayed. The more his popularity grew, the more ministry opportunities came, the more he stepped aside then to walk away and to spend time with his father. And this is astonishing, isn't it? I mean, how counterculture is this today in America? Jesus obviously didn't have a very good PR person in his camp leading his schedule. Jesus, don't you understand how much momentum you have here in ministry? I mean, people are clamoring for you. Your stock is in the rise, Jesus. Now is the time to capitalize on it. Now is the time to write that book. It's gonna be a bestseller. But the, the more his popularity grew, Jesus steps aside and he leaves it to pray. When did he pray? Mark says, rising very early in the morning while it was still dark. Even after a very draining day, Jesus doesn't take a day off. It's early, it says. Mark tells us twice, very early, while it was still dark. It was, it was sometime between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. on Sunday morning, and Jesus has had enough sleep, and he, he rises. He's awake to spend time with his father. And he needed this time, an uninterrupted time with his father. And where did he go? Mark says he departed and went out to a desolate place. Jesus leaves the hub of activity, even though I'm sure things had died down since last evening. But he departs and he finds a desolate place. It's the wilderness. He goes out into the wilderness where no one else is and he prays. He got out of town. He left the action. He knows where he's going, even though it's dark. And he finds a way out of the chaos. He remembers all that transpired yesterday, the, the healings, the teaching, the people who are in great need, and he, he leaves this for now to find a quiet place where he can spend time with just himself and his father. Just like Elijah, who went to Mount Horeb, where, where he heard the whisper of God, and Habakkuk, who stood watch to see where the Lord would tell him, or even Paul, as we learn in Galatians 1, who, who leaves after he's converted to spend time with God. Jesus here leaves the busyness of Galilee to spend time, dedicated time by himself with God the Father. According to Jonathan Edwards, this was key to living in obedience to God, and he saw this firsthand with his wife, Sarah. He wrote, she cares to meditate on him. She loves to be alone, walking in the fields and groves, and seems to have someone invisible always conversing with her. And Jesus leaves the busy to be alone with his father. And why did he get up early and leave? Mark says simply, there he prayed. Such simplicity and yet such depth in those words. Jesus got up early, left the house where he was staying, traveling to an unoccupied area to pray. And a certain amount of detachment is necessary when we pray. It's helpful, especially the more public your ministry is. And Jesus, knowing this, leaves the people and goes with this singular focus to spend time with God the Father. And why would Jesus need to pray? Well, there's many reasons. Let me just have a few. Jesus would spend time with the Father because others needed prayer. There are many times in the Gospels where we read of Jesus praying for others, specifically one I think of is John 17. It says, I do not ask for these only, 
but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Jesus prayed for his disciples, and friends, he prayed for you. Did you catch that in the text? If you're a Christian here this morning, Jesus was praying for you. That we'd be unified as the body of Christ. And that others would see this and come to believe in him. Jesus also prays to do the will of God. He knows that he needs the help of the Father. And you need to understand that, that Jesus is not a superhero here. It's not healthy for us to look at him in that way. He shows us his humanity, his dependence upon the Father. And he goes to the Father and relies on him. And Jesus prays as an act of submission to the Father. In John 4, 34, he says, Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and accomplish his work. Jesus hadn't come to accomplish his own life plan. He came to the submission of the Father. And throughout the Gospels, we read of Jesus praying to the Father to understand and accomplish his will. And, and Jesus prays to bring focus on what he's to do. And we'll take a look at this in the second point of popularity. But Jesus came before the Father in prayer to strengthen his focus. Jesus had to, had to step away, even for these moments alone, to, to gain clarity on the mission that he sent to earth for. We see this later in verse 38 here in Mark's gospel as he teaches yet again on why he came to earth. And, and there are times for us that we need to step away to gain this same focus. Friend, do you ever feel like you're too busy to pray, though? If so, you're too busy. Jesus had a lot to do in ministry. And yet he took time away to spend with the Father. Perhaps you feel you don't need to pray. And friend, may I be so bold to say you're wrong? If you and I who are flawed, weak people, and he, the Son of God, and if he thought he needs more prayer the busier God, how much more do we need it? But maybe, maybe you've come to a point in your life where things are incredibly productive. Many opportunities, and you're busy, a, a good kind of busy. People, people are, are interacting with you, and you're able to help them and teach them and encourage them. You're, you're accomplishing so much for God's kingdom, and so then you, you squeeze out prayer. Or maybe you're making some more money, and that's great because you think, if, if I can work more and make more money, therefore I can give more to others in need, in the church, in my, my community. And big things are happening. And you say, I'm very productive for the kingdom of God, and then you squeeze out prayer. But friends, think about this. Jesus is standing in the middle of the greatest opportunity that was literally going to change the world. I mean, his opportunities right now were going to change the course of history. And he believes that prayer was too important to let it get squeezed out. And he steps away to pray. And if Jesus thinks it's that important, if it's that big of priority for our life, if he increases his prayer when busyness increases, then where do we get off living the way that we live? What right do we have to push prayer to the fringes of our life? Friends, we need to see prayer as the, 
And it's the same light in the same way that Jesus does, the same priority that Jesus sees it. Nothing else is more important. Nothing else can push it to the side. Nothing else is a higher priority, not even changing the world forever. Prayer trumps all. And it's a, it's a planned spiritual discipline, too, that we need in our lives. Some believe that if something is to be spiritual, that it has to be spontaneous. But that's not true, according to the Bible. We need a plan to pray. We need to uh, schedule. We need to discipline ourselves. Otherwise, we won't do it. And we need to plan if we're going to be faithful to the task of, of talking with our Father. Proverbs 25, 28 says, A man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. And if you don't have any discipline about your spiritual life, then you are letting whatever comes along your life to dictate your life. Not, not obedience to God's word. Jesus worked hard in his relationship with the Father. And so can we do any less? And friends, there are no appointments necessary for God. You come as you will. Think about that. You can come to the Father at any time. You can do it right now during the sermon. I mean, we have a tougher time, a much tougher time trying to get our schedules together with friends, right? You didn't desire to get together with friends and things just don't work out and you're working so hard. It's never that case with God. If you need to talk with God, he's always there and he's always listening. And he invites us all the time. And what a great God we serve, our creator God, who, who beckons to us to come to him in prayer. And, and we can't abandon this. And, and my prayer for you and for myself is that we would grow in our time with the Father this week. If you're married, I want to encourage you to sit down with your spouse and decide when you're going to pray this week, every day. It doesn't have to be early in the morning. Don't, don't fixate on that part of the text. It's the consistent time to spend with the Father. And ask your spouse to help you by making sure your time is un uninterrupted and that you do the same for them. If you're single here, find a friend this morning and call them and discuss a way that you can help each other grow in this. To hold each other accountable, you would spend time in prayer every week, every day. And friends, this is too important for us to, to lay aside, to squeeze out. And we need to follow the example of Jesus here and set aside time to pray. So that's my first point. Second, Jesus in popularity. We can be so distracted what other people think that it begins to affect then how we live. And we live in a world where there are polls or discussion on a regular basis on what's popular in our culture, what is necessary. And we, we begin to think that what is popular is then normal. Uh, what we think is normal is now right. And we get so fixated on what others think of us that our decisions begin to then affect what we do and why we do it. Our families even can have a strong pull on how we live our lives, and ultimately we can fall prey to what is popular. And for some, this is a strong motivation, how you live. Popularity is very powerful. And all you need to do to find out if it's true is just get on social media. Right? Just for a few moments, you can see firsthand the intoxicating power of popularity. How many friends do you have on Facebook? How many followers do you have on Instagram? How many, how many likes did you get on that last photo? Any comments? 
Popularity can fuel our need to be loved and fuel our motivations for life. But friends, have you ever noticed that, that you are as, about as popular as what the other person thinks that they can get out of you? And this is true here in our text. Jesus was a very popular man. We see it in this passage here in Mark 1 that Jesus quickly had a following. Verse 36, and Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And they found him and said to everyone, get this, everyone is looking for you. Jesus, you're popular. Everyone's looking for you. Jesus is out by himself praying. By the time the disciples wake up, they realize Jesus isn't there, and, and they go searching for him. It's probably hours by now, because the day would have been begun at sunrise. And Jesus is off hiding away, talking with the Father. But the disciples have a different agenda. They, they realize that, that Jesus is popular, but they haven't realized the importance of prayer. And now they're trying to manage the popularity of Jesus. In Luke's gospel, it says that others were looking for him too. It wasn't just the disciples, but the masses, the crowds are searching for him. They want Jesus. And, and I'm guessing, because the disciples are like us, that they probably had this proud, new, newfound popularity of Jesus now affected them. Like, now they're popular. And they, they think maybe, man, we bet on the right guy. Whew, I'm with Jesus, and look how popular he is. I picked the winner. I mean, they love this guy, and I love this guy, and, and I get to spend the most time with him. And the more popular Jesus gets, the more popular they get. They have the inside track with Jesus. Others might have been envious of the close relationship that he had with them. They want to be like them. I can imagine this being huge for their egos. Jesus doesn't think the same way about this, though. And Jesus didn't become popular because of antics. No, his popularity was the best kind. He preached the truth. He healed people who were in great need. And he was there for people. Jesus didn't care about being popular, but he knew it would happen. When more and more people are being healed, the word would pass on and others would come. And the word had gotten out because it says in verse 33, and the whole city was gathered together at the door. Now, Mark is obviously speaking in generalities, but you get the point, what he's saying here. Jesus is the talk of the town. Everyone has heard of Jesus and they've come. And be honest, friends, if you, if you had been there, you, you might have responded the same way, right? And he healed many who were sick of various diseases and cast out many demons. People are getting healed and demons are getting cast out. I mean, this would have most definitely aroused the interest of everyone, right? If they had Twitter, it would have been blowing up then, right? Hashtag Jesus is healing, right? They would have wanted to find where Jesus is at. What is he going to do next? Everyone had been down there. Everyone looking for, for, for Jesus because their great aunt is sick. I need to bring her to Jesus. And the word would have spread fast. What will Jesus do next? Did you hear what he said? Did you see what he did? But what's Jesus' response to, to all these people clamoring for him? Would he be swayed by this powerful draw of popularity and adoration? Would he now listen to those that are saying, Jesus, you need to be here. You need to do this next. I mean, the disciples are hoping so. They saw this as a gold mine. Jesus knew very well what they wanted. But his earthly popularity would not be on his agenda sent by God, his father. He was sent by God. He, he knew this and would share in detail with the disciples. It's, it's interesting, isn't it, that Jesus is so resolved on what his mission is 
after spending time in prayer. So, so clear is his focus, recognizing yet again what his mission is and what he has yet to accomplish after he spends time with his father. The more time he spent with God, the more clearer things became and the more resolved Jesus was to accomplish the will of his father. Can we learn something from this? Is it possible we don't know what to do next in our life because we're not spending enough time in prayer? Just trying to figure it out on our own? What's our response towards popularity? We, we, we can too easily be swayed by what others think of us. Where do we find our mission for life? Where do we find our purpose? Is it in the world and what others think? Or is it with God and his word? And the only way to understand and to follow through is to read his word and to spend time with God. We need to have the same response to popularity and pressure as Jesus does here. We live in a culture that seeks to sway people to their own agenda, whether that's through political power or clever words or through the pressure of friends and family with their guilt-laden words to guide us to their side. We cannot be people who are swayed by the popularity of this world. We need to find our depth and our strength, not in people, but in God and his word. And the only way to do this, the only way to do this is to step away from that, to turn that off, and to spend time with him and to read his word. It doesn't sound too complicated, friends, but this will be revolutionary to your life. Charles Spurgeon said, let us prefer to be found among the useful and lowly rather than among the self-conceited and useless. God will not greatly bless us if we grow great. We may soon become too big to be used. The Lord who does it will not use those who are great and strong and mighty in their own esteem. When the Lord finds his servants lowly like the Lord Jesus Christ, then they shall be used. And friends, get this. He says, pride is the death of all true spiritual usefulness. It's true. What will our church do in the age of popularity? When the pressures come from the outside in, trying so desperately to dictate what we should do, how we should think, and friends, it's coming, what we should preach. The world will will, will close in and say, you can't preach that. What will we do? Are we willing to be looked on by the world as fools? If you're not praying, how will you know what to do? If our leaders and our pastors and elders and deacons aren't spending time in prayer, how will we know how to handle these situations? If you, the congregation, are not spending time in prayer, how will you know what to do to encourage us? Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 1.18, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved is the power of God. We will be looked at as fools for the sake of the gospel. And is our church ready for that? And the only way to know is if we're spending time with God. I I desire strongly, and I know many of you do, that this church would grow. And I don't mean numerically. I mean spiritually. You want to help prepare this local church for suffering, for growth? You need to pray for one another. I am serious here. You take your membership directory. We have an app even. If you don't want to use paper, we'll print it out. And you take that and you pray through it. You start with a letter A this week and you pray for every person with a last name that starts with A. 
You may not know them. Just pray for them. Pray that they would be strengthened in God's word, that they would be spending time with him. That's what will strengthen our church. That's what will allow us to combat the popularity this world will, will put on us. And in an age where you can spend endless hours on your smartphone playing a mindless game or on social media, we need to put it away. We need to try to discipline ourselves to not look at it in the morning until we spend time with God in prayer. And I pray that we won't be Christians who are swayed by popularity, but that we'd find our, our purpose in God and God alone. And this happens when we pray, when we step aside and we spend time with our Father. And so we've seen first Jesus praying, second Jesus with popularity, and third Jesus in preaching. Although Jesus is seen here in, in Mark chapter one healing people, he came as a prophet, as a preacher in verse 38, and he says, let, let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. He came as a preacher, that's why he came, so he can preach. And even as he stood trial before Pilate, he attested to the fact that he came to bear witness of the truth. He came to preach. And then here in Mark's gospel, he prays and he goes on to preach. It's natural, it's normal. He prays, then preaches. And people today need to hear preaching. People need to know the truth. They need to know that Jesus is different. There are many in our world today that do not believe Jesus is any different than any other religious leader. And they ask, what makes Jesus different? Aren't all religious leaders basically the same? Jesus, Buddha, Muhammad, a guru, aren't they the same? And the scriptures say, no, they're not the same. Jesus Christ is far superior. I should have got a louder amen than that. He is far superior. Jesus Christ is the very son of God. He is the truth and has come down to earth from heaven. Not only is Jesus different than every other kind of spiritual leader, his message is very different. People say, aren't all religions saying basically the same thing? Like the common opinion in our world today is that they're all the same because people don't want to face the message of Jesus Christ. They don't want to explore the truth claims of Jesus. And so they just assume that he's just one of the mix. And, and friends, just realize this. Most people don't reject the Bible because they believe it contradicts himself. No, they reject the Bible because it contradicts them. We can't handle it. And they want to put Jesus on earthly terms. That's why in John's gospel it says, he who is of earth belongs to earth and speaks in an earthly way. Every other religious teacher comes from a vantage point of earth. And so at the very beginning, their message lacks power. Every false religion comes to the starting line the same way, whether Islam or Buddhism or Judaism or Roman Catholics, they say that they come to God and the only way to do it is to be good. You have to somehow earn your way into heaven, the afterlife. But Jesus teaches something drastically different. You know, Nicodemus came to him and he thought he was good. And Jesus says, you must be born again. Jesus teaches that salvation is through, through faith, not works. And this cannot be imagined from an earthly-minded person. Well, this is of heaven. And this is revolutionary to life, right? It establishes any difference between Christianity and every other religion. If Jesus is who he says he is, he is uniquely God, then his message is the only true message and must be accepted to the exclusion of every other message. If Jesus is not what he says he is, then he's an incredible fraud who should be rejected. 
And a Christian then is someone who has seen and heard and believed the truth of Jesus Christ and his word and accepts him to the complete exclusion to every other savior and Lord. And being a Christian means you're exclusive to Jesus. Right, he says in John 14, he is the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except through him. He's exclusive. And so the question I have to ask, I have to ask it every week, friends, who are you trusting in? Who are you trusting in? Well, Jesus is the only way. Do you believe that? You have to do something with Jesus. You can't ignore him. You have to answer the question, who is Jesus? And if he's just some cool or clever teacher, then he's a fraud. He, he lied to people, deceived lots and lots of people. But if he's the son of God and his words are true, you have to answer. You have to repent of your life, of trusting in yourself and turn and trust in Christ, friend. Turn away from your unbelief and turn to Christ. And he is sweeter than you could imagine. And his word is more sure than anything you will find on this earth. And for my Christian friends this morning, what are we to learn through this? We're here to share God's truth with those who we come in contact with. Man, I just was talking to a brother this morning who enjoying vacation camping and just, just loving the fact of opportunities just to share God with others and to pray with them. You know, talking about the Bible and saying, I just, he, was, he was just, it was bubbling over just talking with him for a few minutes because he said, that's what I'm here for. And I'm like, praise the Lord, you're planting seeds. That's what he said. I'm planting seeds. God's garden's getting bigger. Like, well, that's why you're here. That's why you're still on earth. And if God's plan was just to save you, he'd just take you up. But he left you here. And to, to care for others and to help people. But ultimately, you're here to share the truth of the gospel. And the gospel is to be first on our lips. First to our family and friends and our coworkers and our neighbors and strangers that we come in contact with. That's why we're here, to preach. And what do we preach? We preach the gospel. And that's why it's important for you to come to church, to sit under the preaching of God's word. It's only a short amount of time for you to spend here each week in comparison to the hours that you spend outside of this place during the week. You come to sit under the teaching and preaching of God's word to be fed and to be challenged, to grow and to take what you've received and to teach others. This is why the word is central to all that we do. You come each week and you hear the word of God and you sing the word of God and you pray the word of God and you read the word of God. All this is central to the life of the local church and then when you are filled up every week, you go back out into the world and you preach in your way. You preach to those that you come in contact with. I had someone come to me a number of months ago and thank myself and the elders for the teaching in, in course seminars and the preaching from the pulpit. And they said that they feel so beat up and worn out every, every week from the work that they do and they're exhausted. And, and they come in the church and they said they, they feel filled up because they're worshiping with God's people and they sit under the word and it fills them up to go back out into the world for the next week. And to be faithful for what God has called them to do. And, and the power on Sunday isn't in the preacher standing before you. Friends, there'll be another preacher after me. Hopefully. This church is here. I'm just an interim pastor, okay? Someone else will come. 
maybe taller, I don't know. He'll preach, and the power isn't in the preacher, it's in the word. And through the word, we learn and grow. And through the word, we learn priorities for life. And as a preacher, I need this. 2018, I get all sorts of books and conferences and brochures and magazines that come out every single week, and they're very good, but some are, are there to tell us what we should be doing for ministry. Many, I'm assuming, with good and genuine hearts to tell us what we should be doing, but you know what the ultimate priority is of the pastor? It's to preach the word in season, out of season. No matter what the position of the pastor, associate, youth, whatever you name it, your job is to preach the word, and when you're not doing your job, then you have failed to understand what is, your job is, to, to preach the word, to declare God's word. And this is what our pastors are to be about, our, our elders. They're here to preach the word, to love the saints, to pray. And this is what you need from a pastor. This is what you employ them to do. Not to get caught up with all the fads and popular things out today. To preach the word. To love the people. To love God. And that will please God most on this earth. Friends, Jesus is our example this morning. He, he shows me, my heart has been challenged this week. He shows us the priority of ministry and it begins and ends with prayer. Healthy Christians pray. One author, E. Stanley Jones, once described prayer as this. He said, prayer as a time exposure to God. Prayer as a time exposure to God. He used it to describe his life being like a pho photographic plate, which when exposed to God, progressively bore the image of God in keeping with the length of exposure. And man, I love that description. But it's also very challenging. What kind of picture is exposed in our lives? How much of God can others see in us? And the essence of prayer is not give God give us stuff. No, it's not the essence. It isn't, it isn't even God forgive us of our sins, although that's very, very much definitely a part of prayer. That's not the essence. No, what we find in the beginning of the prayers of Jesus is the orientation, the position. The essence of prayer is the searing of the senses of the mind and heart with the white hot fact that in Christ, the cosmic Lord of the universe, God has become our Father. That's the essence. That's, that's where we start. That's the center of our prayers, where they originate. That God is our now all-sufficient, all-loving Father. And that's the orientation of Jesus' prayer life. He goes back to this every day, and he centers on this, that God is his Father. And that's what gives him the joy to handle his ministry. It's what drives his life here on earth. It's, it's not only what gives him power for ministry, but gives him the object of ministry and the purpose for ministry. Because he came not to be popular, but to point created beings, multitudes of others, to have the same fatherly relationship with God that he has. As a preacher, I'm a nobody who preaches about a somebody. Right? And that's what you do. And prayer was the foundation of Jesus' life. And the purpose of prayer is not to get things from God. It's to get God. And to the degree you know the unconditional fatherly love of God, to the degree you, through prayer, orient your heart to that reality, you don't need human power or human approval or human comfort. Those things don't enslave you. And friends, you can handle anything through prayer, through him. You can handle losses. 
You can handle people being angry with you. You don't have to scrounge around for love and security and significance and safety from other things in this world. You are free because of prayer. Because you have the Father. And there is richness in praying, friends. Jesus came to world to this world by choice for a reason. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. He didn't come into the world because he was elected in some world election. He didn't come into the world because of a poll that was brought by the people and what their needs were and what they wanted for life. No, Jesus came to preach the gospel and to be the gospel for them. He came not to satisfy their desires, but to be the representative, to give his life as a ransom for many. He came for sinners, and that means he came for me, and he came for you. And if you are not a Christian here this morning, you can trust in him through faith. He promises to redeem you. He, he promises to buy you back from the slave market of sin and turn you from your sin this morning and to turn to him. And friends, I encourage you to do that. God give you the faith to believe and trust in him. And we glory in the gospel this morning. We're gonna partake now of the communion. And so I'm gonna pray, men, why don't you come forward that are serving communion? And I pray as, as I walk through this prayer that you would remember again what Christ has done through us as he went to the cross. Why don't you bow your heads as I pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you that we can come freely to your throne. Thank you for your grace and love by sending Jesus Christ to earth to be our savior. And we remember his words on the cross when he cried out, it is finished. Sin was vanquished on the cross. And hallelujah, what a Savior. All honor, all glory, all praise to our Savior, Jesus Christ. And one day we will stand before the throne of God. And Jesus' blood will plead our innocence and we will worship him. Because he is our righteousness. And we bear no more guilt for our sin because Jesus paid it all. And we remember this morning what he did for us on the cross. And because of Christ, we can come to you anytime, any day. And I pray, Father, you'll help us to be faithful to you this week in our prayers and our, our witness and in our lives. And may you be glorified in your children this week. Now as we partake of this, may you be honored and glorified as we remember yet again what Christ has done for us on the cross. Amen.